Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being established in righteousness. This is part five. Not sure how many series, uh, sessions I'll have in this series. As I've said many times, this is our main teaching that we teach in our church and every once in a while I just reteach this. And so anyway, that's what we're doing right now. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we want to say thank you to all those who are partnered with us, excuse me, with their tithes and your offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and go to our give page, and all the instructions are there. So with all that said, let's go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. As I said before, this series... When talking about being established in righteousness, this is our main teaching that we teach in our church. And periodically, I, I reteach this. I've broken up this teaching into five segments. We are in segment, se segment number two right now. The first one was talking about the, the unity of the faith, with more of a prelude, a scattered down approach of all the other lessons that we're, our segments that we're going to be covering. Okay? This uh, first one is really the main message. As far as being established in righteousness, we're talking about beholding the resurrected life. Okay. We'll be wrapping up segment two uh, this morning, and then we'll be going to segment three next week. Okay. So, but with this said, maybe just do a little re recap of what we've covered so far here in the second segment. We're talking about beholding the resurrected life. And under the umbrella of being established in righteousness. Okay. So we started off from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, what? The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. There's only one power of God to salvation, and that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's news. It's not something that, it's not a vice. It's news. It's something that has happened, and it's good news. It's not bad news. And the gospel of Christ is not going to be, not should be, not could be, but it is the power of God. Unto, and I love the King James here where it says, unto salvation, to everyone who believeth. I love the if on the King James because it believes and you continue to believe. As you continue to believe the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to bring salvation. We know salvation, both the Hebrew and Greek, means wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. And it also obviously includes forgiveness that goes with wholeness. Okay? And so, if you need healing, believe the gospel. And it's the power of God to get you healed. If you need provision, believe the gospel. And it's the power of God to receive provision. You need forgiveness, you need deliverance from sin or, uh, or uh, some type of enemy, then believe the gospel. And it's the power of God to receive that deliverance, to receive that wholeness, to receive that forgiveness. And it's available to everyone, to the Jew first, all the Greek, Greek. Why the Jews first? Because it was offered to them first. And then the Greeks, that's you and I. But therein, therein what? The gospel. Is the righteousness of God revealed? The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And it reveals it from faith to faith, because the just, our righteous, lives by his faith. We live by faith. We, the righteous of God, we, the righteousness of God, we live by faith. Okay? And so, now, some people say, I'm not faith alone. Well, true, 
the true biblical faith is never alone. There will always be a corresponding action to true biblical faith. And that's a whole other subject that we're not talking about in this series right now, necessarily. Okay? It will, it will pop its head from time to time. Okay? But, it, you know, we live by believing the gospel. That's how we live. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Okay? And so we live by it. That's how we live. And true biblical faith is never alone. There's always going to be a corresponding action to true biblical faith. Obedience. Okay? Love. Preaching the gospel. Believing that you're righteous because of what Jesus did. And what you have believed in. What you have received. Okay? True biblical faith will always uh, have a corresponding action. It will cause you to walk around the wall seven times and the seventh on seven seventh day, seven times. It will cause you to cast your net on the other side of the sea. It will cause you to, to touch the hem of his garment to receive your healing. It will cause you to do many things that true biblical faith always has a corresponding action. Okay? Jesus, many times, especially with the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus marveled at their faith. Why? Because he saw the corresponding action. Okay? He didn't see what's going on in the mind and the hearts, but he saw what came out of the abundance of the heart, which is faith. Okay, anyway, I need to get out that sub. This is book fair recap. Okay? We also talked from Isaiah 52 7. We'll be coming back to this verse and many of these verses many times throughout the series. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings us gospel, who brings us good news, who proclaims peace. And brings the glad tidings of good things. And proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, his bride, his church, his people. Your God reigns. The gospel that we preach. The good news that we bring. Proclaims peace. Our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. And we'll get there this morning. From the, the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And it's, it proclaims salvation. I just talked about that. Wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. And it says, it speaks something, it proclaims something, it declares to Zion, it's personal. Your God reigns. Sickness doesn't reign. Lack doesn't reign. Sin doesn't reign. God reigns. You don't reign. God reigns. Okay? From there we, so we talk about how the gospel is... The power of God's salvation. The gospel, going back real quick, reveals the righteousness of God. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about righteousness. <coughs> so, when I talk about gospel, the gospel will always reveal righteousness. Always. Okay? It will always proclaim. The gospel will proclaim these things. Okay? It's good news. It proclaims his salvation. Excuse me. Then we also talked about how righteousness is the foundation of his throne. Okay? We have a king who has a kingdom. A kingdom is where a king has dominion. Kingdom. King dominion. Okay? And on the throne is where the king exercises that dominion over the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not here or there, but the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus also said, it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
And the foundation of that throne is righteousness and justice. Okay? We also talked about in Hebrews that, <coughs> excuse me, just like he talked to the Hebrews, talking to the Jews that he was, the writer he was writing to, many of us ought to be teachers. But we still need someone to teach us the first principles. What are the first principles? The first principle is the word of righteousness. Okay? This word of righteousness is the elementary teachings. It's the foundation. And so, <coughs> if, we don't get the, if we don't get the foundation right, if we don't get the word of righteousness, if we don't learn this, we can't teach others. And we are not established ourselves. We're talking about being established in righteousness. Well, we got to get the foundation right. Okay? Because everything else on top of that kingdom, everything else on top of that throne, everything else that is built on the elementary teachings, everything you learned in junior high, high school, and college, and, and beyond, is built on what you learned in elementary school. Math, reading, writing, and many other uh, uh, subjects as well. Everything you learn in kindergarten and, and beyond is built on the elementary teachings. But if you don't get the elementary teachings right, everything else you learn is going to be misconstrued. Okay? So we have to get established in righteousness. We also talked about how all school... Uh, no, excuse me, I have, have some point here. We also talked about how the full fivefold ministry, whether you, you are an apostle, pastor, uh, evangelist, missionary, and then not, we're not all because it says some. Some are these. Not everyone's these. You know, no one has this gifting. And these are gifts to the church. Okay, they're not gifts for If you have these gifts, they're not for you to exploit yourself. Okay? They're not for you to, 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 it's not for people to serve you. It's for you to serve people. It's for you to preach the gospel. It's why did he give these five full ministries? For the perfecting of the saints. He didn't give you these for you. He gave them for the saints. Your giftings are not for you. Your giftings are for other people. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Our ministry as pastors and teachers, etc., is so that we can equip the saints for the work of the ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the, 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 the perfect man. Okay? So, again, this is foundational. Okay? We also talked about how all. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> forward. Let's go forward. Uh, uh, we also talked about how all scripture. So the foundation of the throne is righteousness and we need to be established in the elementary teachings of righteousness. Okay? In all scripture, it's proper to be indoctrinated in that righteousness, to be reproved in that righteousness, to be corrected in that righteousness, to be instructed in that righteousness, so that man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You cannot be complete and you cannot be equipped for every good work until you are indoctrinated in righteousness, until you are proven in righteousness, until you are corrected and instructed in righteousness. And this is not just a one-time thing. 
It's not something like I, I passed the final and now I'm good. No, this is, um, this is a lifestyle. You will do this for the remainder of your days. The moment you stop, you stop. Okay? All scripture. We, we, none of us, and once it's, none of us have arrived where we don't need this anymore. The further you arrive, the more you need this. Okay? And there's no, we're talking about being established in righteousness. Well, all scripture will do that. All scripture will indoctrinate, improve, correct, and train you in that righteousness so you can be equipped for every good work. As, let's go back. As fivefold ministries, and even as those who are being recipients of that ministry, because we're all doing, we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. See, these are not the only ones in the ministry. Our ministry is to equip them, the saints, to do the ministry. We're equipping the ministers. That's what we're doing. Okay? So we all come to you for one purpose. So we all come to you in good faith. It's not to show off your prophecies. It's not to show off your apostolic gifts. It's not to show off your teaching gifts. It's to equip the saints so we all come to you in good faith. If this is not, if this is not the byproduct of your ministry, then you missed the boat. You missed your assignment. You're out of line. Okay? And so, uh, I, I don't need to be firm on that, but all scripture... All scripture is profitable to do this in righteousness so you can be equipped for every good work. We have work to do. But in order to get that good work done, we need to be indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. And all scripture will do that. And we as a fivefold ministry must be teaching all scripture for this purpose. Okay. We also talked about, uh, moving forward, we also talked about how, because this is true, because the foundation in all scripture is points to righteousness, the foundation, the elementary teachings, the foundation is righteousness, and we need to be established. You want to be established in a good foundation, and that foundation is righteousness, okay? And because that's true, and that's what the gospel reveals, the righteousness of God, then we need to change what we behold. The word, and I'm going to have one whole segment on this. Remember, I have five segments in this teaching. The last segment is really to, to draw this out even deeper than I, I have last week and this week. But there's something that we need to behold. The word behold means to see with the mind. What are you focused on? What's your gaze upon? What are you permeated in? What are you established in? And because <coughs> the, the gospel is true, the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion that we all died. And because we all died, we know we are no more than left in the flesh. Why? The flesh died. Why are we beholding a dead man? You don't need to behold a dead man. You need, you need to behold the resurrected Christ. And it says in Romans 4.25 that he was raised for our justification. The word justification, righteousness, is that same word. He was raised for our righteousness. And we need to behold who we are in the resurrected Christ. Okay? We, are, we need to behold 
I should have uh, made this, a, uh, I should have highlighted this right here. But we need to behold, we are a new creation. Why? Because the love of God compels us to. If we are established in righteousness, if we are established in the love of God, and I have a whole segment on the love of God in this series, but because we come to this conclusion, all died, we need to behold that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to behold that He has reconciled us to Jesus Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation, which is also this word of this ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of the Spirit, it is the ministry of righteousness. Okay? And so we need to behold that. Going back real quick, we need to, he's done, he not only for us, but he's done that for the whole world. Has the whole world received it? Has the whole world received this ministry? No. Until they receive it, they are going to hell. Okay? And they're dead, they're, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. That's why we need to be ambassadors for Christ. And so God will clean through us to be reconciled to God. And I already talked about this already. I'm not going to go into here. But if God's already reconciled the world to himself, why do we need to reconcile to God? Because as far as God's concerned, he's already reconciled the books. He's already reconciled that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God reconciled that in his books. But we can reject that reconciliation. It's like someone paid off your car or your house. When, if someone pays off your car and house or for you, you don't need to keep sending money to the bank. Okay? It would be ludicrous for your, 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 your mortgage to be paid off and you keep paying the bank back. Why? It's paid in full. Jesus paid our debt. We're no longer a sinner. We are the righteous God. In him. But we can reject that. Someone can pay your payment for you and you can say, I don't want that charity. I don't want that love. I don't want that reconciliation. And so until we reconcile the books, in our own minds, we're still we're still a sinner. But some of you have received Christ, but you haven't reconciled in your own mind who you are. You're still associating yourself with a dead man. We go back here. You're not. You're not. You haven't reconciled in your mind. You're not beholding that you are a new creation. You're not beholding that you died. You still. You are still regarding the flesh that you are a sinner. No, if you are received Jesus, you are no longer a sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ, and you need to reconcile that in your mind. <coughs> God has already reconciled you in Christ. But you, in your mind, you need to reconcile that in your mind. That you are the righteous God of Christ Jesus. You need to come to that conclusion. Okay? This is echoed also to, uh, when we talk about beholding, it says in Ephesians 4, <coughs> there is something we are to so learn. There's a truth that's in Jesus. That we are just so learned. Now we have to be this, this phrase so learned needs to be imbued, be permeated, to be saturated. We're talking about being established in righteousness. We're talking about beholding the resurrected life. And we need to be so permeated, saturated, established, and imbued with this truth that in Jesus. What's that truth? There's a colon right here. What's that truth? <coughs> 
<coughs> the truth is that we put on the old man and we put on the new man. We put off the old man and we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness is not what you do. Both of these words, righteousness and holiness, are nouns. A noun is a person, place, or thing. It's not a verb. A verb is an action. These are nouns. True righteousness and holiness is not what you do. It's who you put on, which is created according to God. Now, do I believe we're supposed to live righteously and holy? A verb? Yes. But you can't live like something you're not. You have to become truly righteous. And you have to become truly holy to live truly righteous, to live truly holy. You don't live righteous to become righteous. You don't live holy to become holy. If you can live righteous to become righteous and live holy to become holy, then you are telling me that you can become righteous and holy without Jesus. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And so that's not true. You become righteous, truly righteous and holy by putting on the new man and putting off the old man. Now, by putting off the old man, you're, not going to be, you're not, no longer going to be living according to deceitful nuts. And lust doesn't have to just do with immoral things or sexually immoral things. Some people lust to gossip. Some people lust to be angry. Some people lust for alcohol and drugs. Some people lust to do their own thing and don't care what God says. Some people lust to, to, to hate their brother. Some people are so bitter, they lust for it. But there's so many lusts of the flesh, okay? Which can include also uh, uh, sexual immorality of all, all sorts, okay? But... So this truth that we are to so learn, to be so established in, is that we put off the old man and put on the new man, which is created according to God and true righteousness and holy. Where do we do this? Where do we put off and put on? We do it in the spirit of our mind. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind is the definition of what the word behold means. Okay? Because Jesus made us, I'm going to go back real quick, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because what Jesus did, it's good news, it's not good advice, this truth, that, this truth, this righteousness, this truth that's in Jesus, is that we put off the old man in the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man according to that, that's, which is created <coughs> according to God and true righteousness. What do you mean created according to God? What do you mean created according to God? And I'm not just talking about Genesis chapter 1 where it says we were created in his image and likeness. That's true. But we were, we are, let's go back real quick, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Why is that true? Because Christ died for all. And he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our our righteousness, Romans 4.25. And therefore, 
Again, the words, in Christ, he is a new creation. And this new creation, going forward, is who we put on. And where do we put that on? We put that on in the spirit of our minds. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Again, this is a recap from the last, last week. Okay? Well, we have an unveiled face. What's a veiled face? A veiled face, well, it goes all the way back to the context. This is verse 18. Let's go back to verse 7, where he compares the ministry of death and condemnation, which are synonymous. What's that? What is the ministry of death and condemnation? It is written and engraved on stone. There's only one thing that was engraved on stone, and that was the Ten Commandments. That was the law. Okay, the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament had glory, but he compares the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of the Spirit, which is also synonymous with the ministry of the Spirit, the righteousness. So the ministry of righteousness is the ministry of the Spirit. Okay? The ministry of death and condemnation had glory, which was passing away, but the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. The ministry of condemnation had glory, but the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The Old Testament passed away, the New Testament is exceeding much more in glory. And he goes on to say, verse 14, But their minds were blinded until this same day the veil remained unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. In case you didn't get the Old Testament down. I'm not making it up. The Bible is very clear. Paul is point blank clear. He's been blatantly clear. The Old Testament is a veil. It blinds your minds. Okay? Because the veil is only, and there's only one way to remove that veil, and that is to preach Christ. And even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So he's not just talking about them, he's talking about us. <coughs> even today. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the Old Testament, the law, a bell lies on the heart. Okay? Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the bell is taken away. Now, where the, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What, I mean, we understand this to a certain degree, but again, the spirit of the Lord is the ministry of the spirit. And the ministry of the spirit is the ministry of righteousness. There's, there's nothing more freeing then the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit, because where there's righteousness, there is freedom. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and this gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And we that just live by our faith, this is how we live and move and have our being by the Spirit of God. And when one church of the Lord, this veil, is removed away. And when this veil is removed away, we are walking in freedom. We all want to unveil face. So, see, if we have a if our minds are blinded, excuse me, and the veil is removed, we can now see. We can now behold. We can see with the mind. We can focus. We can gaze. <coughs> And where are we supposed to be focused on? 
The Bible says in James that the word of God is like a mirror. Okay? A mirror is a reflective device. I see myself. I don't see you. I don't see other things unless we're doing a selfie together. Okay? But, uh, you know, I see, I see, you know, I see me. But the word of God is like a mirror. When I read the word of God, I don't just see Jesus. I don't just see what God says. When I read the word of God, I see what God says I am. Who God says I am. And I need to believe the word of God. And I need to believe what God says not only about God, not only what God, God says about uh, different things, but I need to believe what God says about me. And God says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I need to behold, as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. See, I said this uh, a few weeks ago, that when God, I read this passage a few years back, and God asked me, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And when I was looking in the mirror, I kept seeing me. And God kept asking me the same question over and over. No, who do you see? Because I need to see, when I look in the mirror of God's word, I don't need to see me. I need to see Jesus. Well, of course, Pastor, when you look at the Word of God, you need to see Jesus, not you. Yes, but it's a mirror. Not a window. Okay? And so when I look at the Word of God like a mirror, a reflection device, I need to see Jesus. Where's Jesus? Right here. He bought me with a price, and he filled me with the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, from glory to glory. See, when I behold his glory, not my glory in the mirror, I will be transformed. What does transform mean? Well, transform is like <coughs> a caterpillar. I don't know what size of that side of Okay, my wife says this is a caterpillar to a butterfly. And many of us, when we are See, I need to be an octopus here. When we're looking in the mirror of God's word, we see nothing but a, ca a, 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 a caliphate, a worm. Okay? But we need to see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How do we, how do we become righteous? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It says here, are we all with our unveiled face? How do we be, how, how did we get our unveiled face? We preach, we receive Christ, and the veil was removed. And then we're now beholding as the mirror the glory of the Lord. What glory? The glory of righteousness, the glory of His Spirit. And when we do, when we see His glory, not our glory, we will be transformed into the same image. What image? The image that we're beholding. We were, with a bell face, seeing ourselves as a worm, seeing ourselves as a sinner. But now, we look at the reflective device of God's word, we're now seeing his glory, which is like a butterfly, we're seeing his glory, not our glory, and when we do that, we're, see, we're going to be transformed <coughs> like, a cow, like a worm, caterpillar, to a butterfly. We're going to be transformed into the same image that we're beholding. Not a different image. But you can't be transformed into this image 
if you are still beholding the old man who is dead. Are you following me? And we need to stop, we need to stop seeing ourselves as a sinner. And we need to start seeing ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We'll be transformed into sinners from glory. <coughs> what do you mean from glory to glory? From the glory of the Old Testament to the glory of the New Covenant. Just by the Spirit, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Just as by the righteousness of God, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit, where there's freedom. Excuse me. So be glad about that. Okay? And because all of this is true, since we have this ministry, what ministry? Ministry of, this, of righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. The ministry of the Spirit. Since we have this ministry, as we see the proneness, we see mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking correctly. We're not walking like the world anymore. Why? We're transformed. We're free. We've been made free. He who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are not captivated by the lust of this world. We have put on the true man, the true uh, the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who we are. We're the righteousness of God. We have the ministry of righteousness and we are righteous in God. And since we have this ministry, we and we, we have received mercy, something we don't deserve. Okay? And we have we don't lose heart. But we have renounced so many things. And I just take that time to read it. You can read it on your own, Second Corinthians 4 too. But even if our gospel is veiled, how is it veiled? By the picture of the law. Legalism. And it's veiled to those who are perishing. There's people perishing all around us. Not just with sin, but with sicknesses and all different kinds of things. That Jesus paid for at the cross. We can receive healing because we're righteous. We can receive provision because we're righteous. That's a whole other segment I need, I need to teach on. But there's so many things that we can receive because we are righteous. <coughs> Whose minds the God of this age blinded. Now a lot of people read that and they think God's blinded their minds. No, the God of this age, little, little G. That's Satan. Satan is blinded. Who do not believe. That's the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is not an it. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. The gospel reveals the rights of God. And the gospel is a who. The gospel is a who, not an it. Okay? So everything I shared so far is a recap of everything I shared the last few weeks couple weeks, especially last week. And this is where we left off last week. Okay? So I, I read some things last week, but I didn't elaborate on, on everything that we'll elaborate on this week. Okay? So, just a quick recap. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel proclaims this good news of peace. 
salvation declares through Zion, your God reigns. The righteousness is a foundation, it's elementary teachings. All scripture is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in this righteousness. And because all that's true, we need to behold something new. We need to behold who we are in Christ, that we are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. We need to be whole. There's a truth that we need to be so learned. And that we put off the old man. And in the spirit of our mind, beholding, putting on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. As we behold his glory, as in the mirror, we'll be transformed to the same glory from the glory of righteousness. I mean, the glory of the law to the glory of righteousness. And since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. We, we, and since we've received mercy, there's things that we, we, we now renounce. Whether our gospel is veiled as veiled to those who are perishing, who do not believe because the God's invitation is blinded, those who do not believe unless they, the light of the gospel, who is a who, should shine. And because all of this is true, kind of going back real quick, we have a new ministry. It's called the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. And to go back even further, it's also called, bear with me, it's also called the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. So we have a new ministry. It's a ministry of the Spirit. It's a ministry of righteousness. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Okay. And because all that's true, we have a new ministry. So therefore, um, that's what we preach. We don't preach ourselves, we, we preach Christ. And we preach the, as a fivefold ministry, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, we preach the righteousness of God. We preach the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. We preach the ministry of reconciliation. We don't preach legalism. Now, that's the veil. We Remove the veil by preaching Christ. Okay. We preach reconciliation. We don't preach legalism. We don't preach as if Jesus did nothing. We preach as Jesus did everything. We proclaim the gospel. We don't proclaim uh, the law. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, so, with all that said... We need to be established in righteousness. You shall be established. There's so many messianic promises in the book of Isaiah surrounding ch chapter 52, 3, 53, 54, etc. Okay. One of our opening, uh, <clears throat> one of our opening uh, verses come from Isaiah 52. And Isaiah 52 is in the 50s. Okay. And Isaiah. Okay. So, but in righteousness you shall be established. That's the title of this whole series. That's the thing that's been on my heart for the last uh, 10 plus years. That we would be established in righteousness. That's the main message God has ordained me to preach. It's why we have this ministry. It's why we have this church. We, we actually teach on that many other things. 
but those things are built on this foundation of being established in righteousness. And when we are established in righteousness, you shall not, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror, and it shall not come near you. It's like being in Goshen when all the plagues were happening in Egypt. He is our butler, he is our shield, and he is our great reward. The best place to be. All hell can be breaking loose. But we need to be established in righteousness. And when we are established in righteousness, we can be far from oppression. We don't fear from terror. We have no fear from terror. Because it shall not come near you. <coughs> and we need to let that sink in. Because if we're experiencing oppression, tear, and all these other things, I need to ask, are we establishing righteousness? Okay. He goes on to say, verse 15, whoops, verse 15, Indeed, they shall surely assemble. Who shall, who shall assemble? The terrorists. The oppressor. <coughs> Even though they're going to come. He says, he's not saying that we will, people won't come against us. He says, no, they shall surely assemble. But not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. That's a, that's a powerful promise. When you're establishing righteousness, no matter who comes against you, shall fall for your sake. He goes on to say, verse 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Does that mean any weapon won't be formed against you? No, but it ain't going to prosper. And every tongue which rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That's your responsibility. Anything that rises up against you, you shall condemn. I condemn lack. I condemn sickness. I condemn oppression. I condemn terror. I condemn anything that rises up against me. And anything that rises up against me, any tongue, anything spoken, <coughs> you shall condemn. Did not God say, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you? If anyone curses you, they are cursing themselves. Because if I, it says in Galatians, if I'm a, if I'm a Christ, then I'm a child of Abraham, an heir according to the promise. And what God promised to Abraham, God promised to me. How do I know? I'm in Christ. I'm the righteous of God. He goes on to say, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. It's my heritage. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. All of this takes place, everything I just read in the last few verses, is because we are the righteous of God. Amen. <coughs> All these promises 
all these directives are because we are established in righteousness. It's not that we just know about righteousness. It's not that we just agree with this teaching on righteousness. But the, the command is to be established through righteousness. Many of you might agree with a lot what I'm teaching, or even all that I'm teaching on righteousness. But it's not just agreeing with it. That is a good step, because you're not going to be established in something that you don't agree with. Okay? But the command is not just agree with it doctrinally. The command is to be established in it. But you can't be established in something that you don't agree with. Okay. Remember, uh, I don't have it my, on my screen, but Andrew Womack gave this definition on unity. Love is the bond of perfection that holds us together. We are bounded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. Now, I'm not talking about unity so much this morning. We've already established that. But, so we, but we have to have a shared doctrine on this. Okay. But it's going to be hard to be established in something if you're not first indoctrinated. Many of you are indoctrinated on what I'm talking about. Or you're in the process of being indoctrinated. But... We need to be established in this. We need to be so established like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even as they throw us in the fire, we are not going to bow down. Like Daniel in the lion's den. Like many other examples I can give you of being established in righteousness. And when I'm talking about being established in righteousness, I'm not just talking about living righteous and holy, where we are, we are establishing our principles. I'm not excluding that. I don't apologize for what I believe, and I stand firmly. But when I talk, talk about being, I don't apologize for what I believe, you know, I call sin, sin. Homosexuality, and many other things. Sin is sin. And I will stand firm on those things. Okay? But I also will stand firm, and even firmer, on the fact that I am a righteous God in Christ Jesus. He became my sin. I'm no longer a sinner. I am the righteous God in Christ. And I need to be so established in that. That affects how I live. It affects how I think. It affects my, it affects my behavior. And I don't apologize for that. And every, every word that rises up against me, me, I shall condemn because I, my, my heritage is Christ. I'm the righteous of God. No, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Lack, debt, nothing's going to prosper. People are not going to prosper. Nobody, I mean, they can do me the worst. And even if I were to die, I win. I get to go be with Jesus forever. Okay? I have nothing to lose. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. Either way, I win. Okay? It won't prosper. I have a heritage 
That's huge. And how do I know the heritage is mine? Because my testator has died. The love of God compelled me at one time for all. I'm a righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's a sealed deal. The new covenant is in full operation. In a reversal, it kind of reminds me of Star Wars and the Death Star, where they didn't think the Death Star was operational yet. We'll put that in reverse. The righteousness of God. My new covenant with God is in full operation because Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the grave. And my heritage is in full operation because of the death of my testator. Hebrews chapter 9. And I live because he lives. Okay. Let's move on. Isaiah 51. We're actually going to move backwards. Isaiah 51. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in all like manner. That just, that just warm, warms the tittles of your heart, doesn't it? But. It's okay when God's butt gets in the way. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will not be abolished. There might be a lot of things that are going to happen in these last days. Some things are going to vanish and grow, grow, grow old like a garment. Some people are going to die. But my salvation is forever. And my righteousness will not <coughs> be abolished. He goes on to say in verse 8, For the moth will eat up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like a wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation." To generation. I don't care what's going on in the world. My righteousness is forever. My righteousness will not be lost. What do you mean, my? Because I'm Christ. I died. There's no longer I heard it. My righteousness is a heritage from God. It's from God. It's a gift. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas here pretty soon. And someone gives you a gift. If, for example, I give my wife a gift, she opens the package, and then I don't go around saying, that's my gift, that's mine, 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 mine. No, it's hers. I gave it to her. God gave us a gift of righteousness. It's, it's his gift. But it's mine to enjoy. It's my righteousness. Okay, you understand that? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that helps somebody out. Okay, let's go backwards. First um, Corinthians 15.34. We'll spend more time with this later. But it says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to the, your shame. There's a couple different messages in the small short verse. But the first one is really just here. We need to awake to righteousness. I'm talking about right now in these last few verses from Isaiah and this one from Corinthians that we need to be established in righteousness. We need to be, go back real quick, we need to be established in righteousness. Because our righteousness from Him and that righteousness cannot be abolished and it's forever. Awake to righteousness and sin not. 
See, a lot of people think that I'm teaching that yes, okay, you can live any way you want to in your sin. I did not teach that. And to say that I taught that, you are lying to the Holy Spirit. I did not teach that. Be careful. Okay? Awake to righteousness and sin not. You don't sin not to become righteous. You awake to righteousness and do not sin. It's the other way around. Growing and I don't know where I heard this, where I came up. I don't know just my own thinking or my own way of connecting the dots. It was wrong. But I always grew up thinking that I had to live righteously to become righteous or to be righteous. That's not true. I first awake to righteousness. What, what righteousness am I awaking to? I'm awaking to, going back real quick, I'm awaking to this one right here. Put it back to that thought. This one right here. That I'm the righteous God in Him. I'm awaking to the fact that I'm the righteous God in Him. I'm awaking up to the fact that I am establishing His righteousness. Okay? And my right, the righteousness from Him. Okay? I'm waking up to it. I'm awaking up to righteousness. And now waking up to righteousness causes me not to sin. You know, this set me free so many. I had addictions a few years back. And I couldn't shake it. I just couldn't. You know, and I could go off on this one for a while, but I really don't want to. I don't have time to. But the thing that set me free was awakening to righteousness. I'm the righteous of God in Him. And it set me free. Now, did it try to peek his head every once in a while? Through the yes, it did. But I now had the antidote. I had to be reminded and be reestablished in his righteousness. And when I awoke to that righteousness, I didn't sin. It was the antidote to living a righteous, holy life. I didn't set me myself free. Jesus set me free. It's the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the righteousness is, there is freedom. Freedom came from God, not me. But I have the way to it. For some do not have the knowledge of God. See, if you don't have this concept of righteousness, you do not have the knowledge of God. And Paul says, I speak to sinners shame. There's many people out there in the church. They've been in the church all their lives. And they don't have the knowledge of God. They have a religion. A legalistic religion that's performance-based. Instead of righteousness-based. Instead of being grace-based. People think that if you teach grace, you're teaching people a license to sin. People are already sinning without a license. It's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness. Titus chapter 2. I think it's verse 12. The grace of God doesn't teach you to sin. It teaches you to live godly. And anyone who teaches it different is a liar. 
And anyone who thinks that I'm teaching that you can live anywhere you want to because of grace, you are a liar. You're lying to the Holy Spirit because I did not teach that, and the Holy Spirit knows that, and, and so you're lying to the Holy Spirit. I'll let, I'll let him handle that with you. See, three times Paul taught the gospel in such a way that people thought that he was saying, well, so Paul, are you saying we can live any way we want to? No. The answer was that always no. It was always no with an explanation mark. But God, God forbid. But three times that, that question came up. That encourages me. Because if you preach the gospel in such a way, that question should come up. If you preach the gospel and that question never comes up, you need to have to preach the gospel the same way Paul did. Because when Paul preached the gospel, people thought the question came up three times. Also, we can live any way we want to. Paul always answered, we responded to that with a no. But the question came up more than once. So, if you preach the gospel in such a way, that question should come up. If it never comes up, then you're not preaching the gospel we call it. Paul wasn't praying that it's okay to live any way you want to. I'm not, I'm not teaching that you can live any way you want to. But, the, but I'm in good company if that question comes up. What we're teaching is a way to righteousness or not. And those who don't have that revelation don't have, a, don't have the knowledge of God. I don't teach that to get on your case and be mean, but all scripture is profitable for doctrine and righteousness, to be reproved in righteousness, to be corrected in righteousness, to be trained in righteousness. And I can reprove you in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not to hurt you, but to help you. Okay? So awake to righteousness or not. Also, Isaiah 52, again, it goes, well, awake. Awake. Put on your straight of Zion. I'll spend more time with this later. But who's Zion? God's church, his people, his bride. Awake. Put on your strength. Where did I get this awake from? Awake to righteousness. Awake, awake. Put on your beautiful garments. What are your beautiful garments? Righteousness. Oh, Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised. And the clean shall no longer come to you. We ought to awake. Our strength is our right. We need to put on our garments. We need to put on. Remember, we're putting off the old man and putting on the new man. <coughs> we need to put on the, the new man. All right, as I close out the session, I just want to spend a little bit of time with Hebrews chapter 6. Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is the armor of God. And as we look through the armory of God, I'm going to tie in each piece of the armory to righteousness. And I'm going to use scripture to do so. Okay, so let's head it off with Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
So remember, Ephesians chapter 4, we, and that was two chapters earlier, we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. <coughs> Here we talked about what we are to put on. We are supposed to put on the armor of God. Okay? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness and age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he starts off with, and take up, and put on, the whole armor of God. <coughs> Excuse me. That you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. So we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God, and we're supposed to take it up and put it on. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Two different pieces here. So it's still with the having put on or having girded yourself with the belt of truth. Okay, the belt of truth is good. In Isaiah 11, 5, it says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and the faithfulness the belt of his waist. So again, righteous, when we gird ourselves with the, the belt of truth, we are girding ourselves with righteousness. They follow me so far. Let's go back. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. I almost don't need to explain that one because it already says the breastplate of righteousness. But if you look at the righteousness too, I'm going to go this real fast, but in Exodus 28, when you talk about the law, we're talking about the breastplate of Aaron. And you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. And you make of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread and fine wood ribbon, and you shall make it. And shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be in its length, and a span shall be its width, and you shall be put settings of stones in four rows of stones. The first row shall be, and I can't pronounce all these, so bear with me, sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, Janet, a gate, and a Amphibus, and the fourth row, beryl, ox, and a jasper. And they shall be in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of the signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And you shall make chains for the breastplate at the end of the braided cords from pure gold, and you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Now, I don't have time to go deeper with this. But one thing that I just want to point out, all these different stones, I don't know about what, what you get, but there's a lot of different colors here. There's green, there's blue, there's, there's all kinds of different colors. I don't know all the colors of each one. Okay, I don't know my stones. But how many know that light, the, there's color in light. There's a rainbow in light. Now, I don't have time to go through all that right now, but when I think of light, I think of I think of I think of a rainbow, okay. And when I think of this ephod, this breastplate that the priests were supposed to wear, I just see a, a light. I see a rainbow, okay. And so anyway, I'm going to tie that into Romans 13, 11, 12, and this knowing the time that now is high time to to awake. There's that word awake again, out of sleep. When now our salvation is nearer when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast out the works of darkness. And let us begin to put on the armor of light. For the armor of light is like a rainbow. And this breastplate, Paul already called it in his Ephesians, it's called the breastplate of righteousness. It's the breastplate of 
Take it or leave it, but that's what I get out of it. Ephesians 6.15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we know that the gospel of peace brings us good news, proclaims peace, glad tidings, and proclaims salvation of the desire of your God reigns. This gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So these feet are shodden with the gospel of peace, and this gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Going back here, and I've all taken, taken the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. <coughs> this I'm going to take some notes from the New American Standard Bible. My brothers and sisters, my hearts, chapter 10. I'm in chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my hearts desire my prayer to God for them is their salvation. It's for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to according to knowledge, but not but not knowing God's righteousness and seeking to be established in their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Let's keep reading. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay. What, I, what I'm trying to get out here is, um, you know, we're I'm tying in all the, the armory of God to righteousness. Here we're talking about the shield of faith. Okay. And um, I'm running out of time, so I'm kind of going through this a little quickly. But in Romans chapter 10, Paul is making the argument. He's comparing a righteousness that is not God's righteousness to true righteousness, the righteousness of God. And in this chapter, he's also talking about how faith speaks. He's talking about faith in this chapter. He's talking about righteousness in this chapter. I don't have time this morning to connect all those dots. That's a whole other message and a whole other reading. But the point I'm trying to make is that for Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know, the point I'm trying to make is that faith and righteousness go hand in hand. Because if, if I had more time, I could spend more time and drawing this out you know, in Romans chapter 10. How faith, faith speaks. The righteousness of faith speaks. And what does it say? It goes all the way down to the point where if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus will be saved, we shall be saved. I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now because I'm trying to rush. I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing my point. My point is that I'm trying to get is that all of the armory of righteousness, all the army of God is tied into righteousness. Now, some in some ways you might be thinking I'm, I'm going for a stretch for this, but I believe that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And it all it all entwines together. It's all woven together. And our shield of faith is us being established in not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. Are you following me? Am I making any sense? Okay? Because the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For the just, the righteous, shall live by his faith. And that's probably even a better scripture for me to tie this into. The righteous God is is tied into, is revealed by the gospel 
And it's revealed from faith to faith. It's a shield of faith. This righteousness of God that's revealed by the gospel is revealed from faith to faith. And it's, it's part of the army of God. Going back here, you know, going back to Romans, when Moses writes of the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who performs them will live by them. But the righteous based on faith speak as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will go to, uh, up into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Okay? And then it goes on to say, and faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. And I'm speaking, reading from the New American Standard. And I miss a whole chunk of stuff in here in Romans chapter 10, a very powerful uh, a piece of scripture. I'm just, I'm just trying to make one point right now without going deep into Romans chapter 10, is that our shield of faith is tied into the righteousness of God. Okay, going back to this verse, but the righteousness that is based on the law, but the righteousness that uh, righteousness based on faith speaks. Okay, so again, there's two different kinds of righteousness. One is based on performance through the law, and one is based on God's grace, His performance. Okay, so hopefully I'm, I'm making sense of this. This is how faith comes. It comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Okay, um, let's go forward. Now let's go to Romans 6.17. And take, upon, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So again, when it comes to salvation, the power of God, it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, I don't think I need to go declare it. And the salvation is where the righteousness of God has revealed. Okay, and so I think I'm missing something here. I think my, some of my slides are out of sync. But praying always with all prayers and supplications of the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all performance, without perseverance, excuse me, and supplication for the saints. Okay, these verses are definitely backwards. So my, my slides got out of order. I apologize for that. That's kind of throwing me off right now in my teaching. But the, as we talk about the sword of the Spirit, well, we can tie that to the righteousness because it says in Romans, Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. All right. So again, these some of these slides are just getting out of sync for me uh, in the conclusion. So I'm hoping I'm not throwing you off here, here at the end. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm just going to wrap it up right there. So we've been talking about being established in His righteousness. I want to end on a note that's just confusing because. Uh, my slides were out of sync and kind of throws me off of my notes. Um, but the point I'm trying to make, and I hope I made it throughout the message, except for maybe here at the latter end, is that we need to be established in who we are in Christ. We need to be indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in this righteousness that we see through our heart. When we come back next week, we're going to be taking and starting the third segment, and we're going to be talking about being established in the fullness of His love. Which goes back to 2 Corinthians 5.14, where the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion. And that's a prelude to my favorite scripture with us, for he in the notes that became sin that we might become the righteous God in him. And so we need to be established in his love. We need to be established in the unity of the faith. We need to be established in 
His righteousness or beholding the resurrected life, and we need to be established in the fullness of His love. I hope I'm making sense with this. Okay. And when I'm talking about being established in His love, I'm not so much talking about us being established in our love for Him, but His love for us. Because some people will have a problem with that. What do you mean we're not supposed to love God? I didn't say we're not supposed to love God. I said that's not, but that's not where our focus needs to be. What do you mean that's not where our focus should be? The Bible says, and it's very clear in 1 John, that we love because he first loved us. And until we are establishing his love for us, we can't love God and we can't love others like we should. So if we are having a hard time loving others, if we're having a hard time loving God, and I'll take it as far as we're having a hard time walking in faith, because faith works by love. Galatians 5, 16 or 5, 8. I might have the reference wrong. But if we're having a hard time with these things, these things, then we need to go further upstream and realize the problem is that we're not establishing His love. You can't walk in faith. You can't love God. You can't love others like you should. If you are not first established in his love for you. And God's love for you is all rooted in his righteousness. So if we don't understand righteousness, we don't understand his love for us. And if, we don't establish, if we're not established in his love for us, we are going to have a very hard time loving God, loving others, and walking in faith. The foundation... Keep going, keep going back to the foundation. If the foundation is off, loving God, loving others, and walking in faith will be misconstrued. Where's the, where's the solution? Being established in our love, His love for us. And if we are established in His love for us, we will love God, we will love others, and we will walk in faith. Okay, and we're going to be talking about that next week. So God bless you guys here in America. I want to say happy Thanksgiving. We're entering our Thanksgiving week. Uh, bless your time with your families and loved ones and friends. And enemies, if that might be so. But anyway, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. And have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Bye.